Well, hey, everybody. It's great to be with you today. I, I don't know if you know this or not, but I guess it's winter. Uh, so, you know, thanks for uh, braving the elements to be here today. Uh, we, we appreciate being together, however the Lord has it. Whether it's gathering right here or gathering online, we're thankful that the Holy Spirit continues to draw us together as the body of Christ. Uh, I got a question for you. Isn't it interesting how often we either don't do the things that we should do or do the things that we shouldn't do, right? This, this is almost a, a daily occurrence, isn't it? It's not really a lack of knowledge or knowing what the right thing is to do, but why is it we have a, such a hard time actually doing it? You'd think that eventually, you know, we would learn over time again and again, but the evidence is, is really actually stacked against us, isn't it? We don't seem to learn. And so there's this little thing called temptation, temptation. And as we think about temptation, you know, a lot of times we're tempted with, with things that are maybe simple or easy, like, well, maybe I accelerated through an intersection when the light was turning from yellow. Well, it's pretty pink at that point. Uh, that might be something easy, or, or maybe it's something easy like, well entertainment or music or, or maybe even a TV show. I remember when uh, Tammy and I, early on in our marriage, uh, <laughs> we started watching this TV show called 24. Anybody remember 24? Yeah, see, there's, uh, right, you know what I'm talking about. Now, 24 was a great TV show, and, and Jack Bauer was like my hero. Uh, and so, matter of fact, if you think about it, Jack Bauer could do things that nobody else could do, yes, but that also included the fact that he could read building schematics on his Sprint flip phone while I had Sprint, couldn't even make a phone call. So it was amazing what Jack Bauer could do. And so one night, you know, about eight o'clock, we were sitting on the couch and we said, well, now I, this is going to be a shock to some of you younger folks, but back in the day when you wanted to watch several TV shows in a row, you had to have a physical thing called a DVD. And so we had this DVD set of, of all the seasons that were available of 24 at that particular time. And so we sat there on the couch and we said, well, let's just watch one episode before we go to bed. <laughs> you know what happens next, right? And so it seems like everything is going great and we're watching this. And then, you know, you know how it is. What? Well, let's just watch one more. Just one more. We're just going to do one more, then that's it. And one, 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 one more, one. Okay, but then that, for sure, that's it. But then one more and one more and one more and one more. And then when I saw the sun coming up, <laughs> I realized there are going to be consequences for this one. Because it's pretty tough to work all day when you've been up all night watching TV. But we just couldn't seem to stop ourselves from watching this TV show. And that is how temptation works. It starts with something that's, you know, pretty innocent and, and easy, and it's just a suggestion like, well, let's watch a TV show. Nothing wrong with that. Okay, that's fine. But then, without even knowing it, over time, it subtly starts to change into more than that, and we start going down even a dangerous path before we realize what's happening. But what about you? When you think of, of temptation, what, what comes to mind in your life? What area or, or, or thing or, or something in your life is something that you've been tempted by or struggle with in terms of 
of what we think of when we think of temptation. You know, because it, it could be easy things, things that we think of off the top of our head more, more simply and quickly, like, like power or, or control or, or money. Uh, and then it kind of goes into maybe even the most obvious of them all, you know, things like alcohol or drugs or sex or anything like, like that that seem more like kind of vices and things like that. But then there are also very subtle things that can happen. Like what about being tempted by relationships that we have with our spouse or relationships that we have with a a close friend or relationships that we maybe either have or don't have with our children? All all of these things, even even the drugs and all that kind of stuff, there are good uses for drugs at some point, right? We've all had to take an aspirin or something like that. But what happens when it starts to shift and change into something more than that. Because how we think of those things, the things themselves are not inherently good or bad, but how we think of them and how we either use them or in some cases abuse them, determine whether or not we're leading ourselves into flourishing or disaster. It's, it's one or the other. Same thing, two different potential outcomes. So what makes the difference? That's what we're going to explore today. We're going to talk about what makes the difference. How could one thing have so many different ways that we could go down either this path or that path and lead to positive or negative consequences? And so as we wrap up our journey series today, we've been going phrase by phrase through the Lord's Prayer or the Disciples' Prayer. Maybe it's more appropriately called that. He teaches, Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray. When we come to the end of this prayer, he says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And when we think about that, it sounds very strange. It sounds very strange. So we're going to get into that in just a moment. But let's, let's pray as we get started. Lord, thank you for gathering us together. Thank you for this place. Thank you for the willing hearts who you have drawn into this space right now to come and hear a word from you. And so, Lord, would you just hide me and make it so that people hear your word, whatever you want to communicate to us today, Lord, would you do that right now and right here in this place? Might, might you change our hearts and transform our lives so that we leave here not the same as we came, but that we understand more about who you are and how you continue to lead and guide us into being more like you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so, so far on our journey together, we've talked about, remember we started, we're not going to have a quiz, but we started out all the way at the beginning, and we talked about how we approach God as our father, as kids would approach their loving father. And then we talked about how and what it's like for us to recognize that God's name is holy and to ask God to keep his name holy in our lives, that we might not only recognize that, but we might share that and glorify God's name as he works in and through us. And then we got to big cosmic level promises where we talked about things like asking for God's kingdom to come and God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Those are big things. And then all of a sudden, the next week, we got much smaller and we started talking about on an intimate level, a personal level, God, we need you to supply our daily needs. 
everything that we need, just even to survive the day, comes and is provided by God. And then, last week, we talked about what does it mean that we have a God who forgives us, who forgives our sins, and then calls us to forgive others. He calls us to forgive others, not to retain that and keep that just for ourselves, but to continue to spread that message of forgiveness out. And so then today, we come to the end of the prayer and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, I don't know about you, but it seems like an awfully strange ending to the prayer, doesn't it? That's, it just ends there. And so now, if you've grown up in church or you've spent any time in church and you've prayed the Lord's Prayer corporately, you know that we're not the only ones that think that it's strange that it ends there. Because there's been this little thing that's been tacked on to the end. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. But that doesn't appear in the original and the oldest, most reliable manuscripts that we have. That's not in there. That got added at some point because I think, just like we look at lead us not into temptation, deliver us from the evil one, I don't know, should it, should it end there? Maybe there should be something else. And so they added kind of a little doxology at the end of that to kind of finish it out. But what does it mean that we're ending the prayer asking God not to lead us into temptation? Well, in order for us to, to get a, a closer understanding of what that means, we have to look at the word temptation itself. Because when we hear the word temptation, we automatically have negative connotations. But the Greek word that's translated as temptation, that's not the case. It's a neutral word. It could be positive or negative. And so it's just as appropriate to translate that same word that's translated as temptation. It could also be translated as testing or trial. And so it could be said, lead us not into a time of testing or lead us not into a time of trial. But temptation is a new, well, the word that's translated as temptation is a neutral word. It's not positive or negative, but think about how we automatically assume it's negative, right? That when we say temptation, we mean negative. I don't, unless you guys can correct me, I don't hear a lot of people running around going, I'm just so tempted to be generous right now. I can barely stand it. I'm so tempted to be kind to that person. That's not what we're tempted by. We, we think temptation is a negative thing. And that is important for us to remember because when we're thinking about, well, there's two different dimensions here. We're talking about either temptation, which in our case, we say is negative, or trials or testing, which we may not love, but these are things that happen ultimately for our good. And so it's interesting to know that when, when God gives us things, what God gives us for good, the enemy or the devil works to destroy. We're going to be talking about the devil, Satan, the evil one, all these names, the accuser. When we're talking about this, what we mean is that what God gives for good, the devil seeks to destroy. That's how we have these two different things that are possible with this idea of temptation or testing. Because the reality is, there is a, make no mistake about this, there is a battle going on for our souls. A battle going on for our souls. We may not think that's going on. We may not see it. We may not feel it. But I assure you, it 
is happening. And as fast as God is trying to lead us to him, the devil is trying to undo that and lead us somewhere else. So there's a battle for our souls. And that means I want to look at this last phrase, this last petition in the prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I want to take that in two parts because I think there are two dimensions that God is teaching us. Jesus is teaching us in this prayer. Number one is protection. And number two is deliverance. Those two dimensions, protection and deliverance. That's where we're headed today. And so first for protection, we are asking God to identify this sort of temptation and this wandering away from him, wandering off from him. We're asking him to protect us from that, to let us know and to to help us not only recognize, but also to give us the strength not to go down this wrong path, not to go down the way that leads away from God, but instead to stick close to God. We need God's protection in order for that to happen. We do not have the strength or the willpower to withstand the attacks and the schemes of the devil. We just don't. I mean, you think about simple things like I don't even have the willpower. If I see a row of Oreos and I say, I'm only going to eat three, I think the evidence would suggest that there might be even more than three. But the point is that despite our intentions, we cannot withstand the attacks and the temptations of the devil. And so we're asking God to intervene and to stop it, put a stop to it. Don't let us go down this road. That's part of it. And so this this protection, and it it gets all twisted up again because what God intends for good, the devil seeks to destroy. Yeah, we know that. Okay. Well, then it gets all twisted up in the fact that God's test becomes the devil's temptation. God's test becomes the devil's temptation. It's both things at the same time. And this can happen with good things or bad things in our life, with with times of great flourishing and with times of really tough struggle and trial in our lives. Both of these can be testing from God's perspective and temptation from the evil one's perspective at the same time. We can't sort that out ourselves. But we do start to wonder, wait a minute, if God is, is ultimately sovereign and God is in charge and God is, he knows everything and, you know, all this kind of thing, how could the very same God that we've been talking about all throughout this series that, that's uh, that bringing his, his will uh, and his kingdom and taking care of us and his name is holy and hallowed and all of these kinds of things, how could the same God then be involved in tempting or testing us to do the wrong thing, something against his will? And so we might just be tempted to ask, well, does God do the tempting? Is God the one who is tempting us to do what is evil or to go against his will? And James has a, an answer for us. In James chapter 1, verse 13, it says this, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Remember, enticed by the evil one. 
Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Happens very subtly, and often in a way that we don't even see it happening. Imagine this. This is just one example. But let's say you wake up, and you're on your way to work, and you have a conversation with your spouse, and your spouse treats you really poorly. And you say to yourself, well, I sure don't deserve to be treated poorly. I deserve better than that. You know, where does this person get off treating me like that? And then you go to work. And at work, you run into somebody who treats you really nice, really kind, makes you feel all warm and tingly inside. And you start to wonder, maybe I just married the wrong person. Maybe I just missed it. Maybe God really had a different person for me and I just chose poorly. Okay, well then the the very next step is you start to delight in imagining what it would be like to be with this other person. And then sin is well on its way to taking you down. You see how easy this happens? This is the way it always is. It starts with a seemingly innocent suggestion. And then it moves into, well, what's really going on here? And then the devil starts whispering all kinds of things to us like, well, did God say that you should be faithful in your marriage? I mean, is that really what God meant? Does that sound familiar? Sounds a lot like the Garden of Eden. Did God say not to eat the fruit from this tree? I mean, really? Was he serious about that? And so we see how temptation starts to incrementally happen and we don't even see it coming. So we're praying for God to protect us from that. We're praying for God to stop us going down that road. When we read stories of all of this, these kinds of temptations... We also see times of testing because the reality is in that particular situation with the spouse, well, guess what? Maybe you've got things out of the right priority in your life. Maybe your expectations of your spouse are completely unrealistic. Maybe what has happened is without intending to, you have slipped your spouse into the spot that only God can hold. And you are asking your spouse to deliver on things that only God can deliver on. If you're seeking your spouse to provide you validation and worth in your life, we're already off the trail. We don't even know it. And so maybe this whole situation, these incidents in your marriage, this trouble that that you might be finding yourselves in at that particular moment, maybe that doesn't have to do with this temptation from somebody else. Maybe it has to do with God testing you to reprioritize your life, to put things in the right order, to recognize that if, hey, if we're going to have a healthy and godly marriage, then God has to come first. Nothing, even my spouse cannot be put in God's place. If we start with that, then maybe that's what God is trying to reveal to us in these circumstances. And so right then at that moment, when you feel all warm and tingly inside at work and somebody's being real nice to you, that's when the battle is going on, it's raging for your soul in that moment. Which way are you going to go? Are you going to stick close to God and be proven faithful? Or are you going to wander off 
and chase the devil. Because guess what? As hard as God may be trying to drive you back to him, the devil is working to drive you into somebody else's arms. That's what is going on. It is much bigger than what we tend to imagine or give it credit for. And so when we think about testing, that automatically makes us uncomfortable. Because we start asking, well, why, why in the world would God need to test us? Uh, if God knows everything, God can see into my heart, God can see into my soul, why, why would I need to be tested? I don't really like that. Well, we see it all throughout Scripture. Uh, matter of fact, a couple of weeks ago when we talked about Exodus chapter 16, when we talked about God raining down bread from heaven, he described it to Moses as, I'm going to do this to see if the people will remain faithful. It was a test to see if the people would remain faithful or if they would run off and start trusting someone or some other thing. Even start trusting the food itself rather than the one who provided it, right? It's very subtle. And so with this testing idea is all throughout Scripture. If you take a look at Psalm 66, verse 10, Psalm 66, verse 10, For you, God, tested us. You refined us like silver. So this testing has purpose. We see right here, refined us as silver. There's something going on. Psalm 26, verse 2, test me, Lord, and try me. Examine my heart and my mind. We're asking God, when we really understand this, we're asking God to test us and examine us for our own good because we can't tell where we're headed on our own. That's the whole point, is the subtle nature of this idea of temptation to get you to wander away happens so subtly that you don't know it's happening. And so we're asking God to intervene. But sometimes he does that through testing. He does it through testing. And even if we don't like it, doesn't make it doesn't make it any less true. There are lots of things in the Bible I wish, well, I don't know about that, but guess what? It doesn't make it any less true. And so uh, why does God test us then? Why does God test us? Well, the reality is that testing proves or disproves our faithfulness. Testing proves or disproves our faithfulness. When times are good, when things are going well, when we're comfortable, we got plenty of uh, ways to, to, as we think, meet our own needs, take care of ourselves. We've got a roof over our head. We've got food to eat, water to drink, all these kinds of things. We start to get really comfortable. Well, we don't honestly know then, is God really my top priority or have I just sort of wandered off? So we're, and the psalmist tells us, ask God to test and examine us so that he can purify and refine us. Because the reality is that saying we trust God doesn't mean anything. We can say we trust God all day long, do we? Sometimes we don't even know. So we're asking God to help reveal that to us. And he will. But we think about testing, proving faithfulness. We get uncomfortable with that idea. But at the same time in our world, come on, we know that this, this has grounding. We know that this it has truth baked into it. Think about if you're looking for a doctor, if you're going to interview a new doctor, do you go to a doctor who has actually graduated from medical school? Or do you just find somebody that bought a lab coat from the Halloween store here at the mall and got a stethoscope and refers to themselves as doctor? You want to know, has this person proven 
to be who they say they are. Because we can say anything we want about ourselves. There's never been a time we can say that louder and influence more people about who we say we are than right now. But testing proves whether or not we're true about who we say we are. Because talk is cheap. And we all probably know that. I mean, the countdown to this whole election cycle being over is, yeah, there you go, is bringing out the cheap talk, left and right, and doesn't matter what side, it doesn't matter at all. Talk is cheap, and everybody's got an agenda. Everybody's trying to work an angle. Everything has a purpose that we may or may not understand. And I don't know if you've seen this yet. I'm not going to be like big spoiler alert here, but if you have not watched The Social Dilemma on Netflix yet, you should take the time to watch The Social Dilemma. Because even though it has nothing to do with what we're talking about today, it has everything to do with what we're talking about today. Because again, something that was created for, I believe, genuinely and intended for good purposes has been completely hijacked by the evil one. Because when something that was meant to be an encouragement, a like on a post, a thumbs up saying, yes, this is a means of encouragement, when that turns into a source of depression, when that turns in to people trying to seek whether or not their life is meaningful and finding their value in how many people like their post or watch their video, well, then you know, without really trying very hard, that the evil one is hard at work. Because again, what what God gives us for good, the devil is working to destroy. And so think about that. Think about that in terms of what we're witnessing right now on social media. In particular, I want to call us all out as Christians because Christians are about the worst of the worst. You see it over and over and over again, and you see how we continue to prioritize politics, arguments, our personal agenda, pictures of cats. We continue to use the biggest megaphone and the biggest platform that has ever been conceived of in the history of humankind. We hold, I don't have my phone up, we hold our phone in our hand and we, thank you, we hold the collective power of knowledge of all of human history in the palm of our hand and what do we choose to do with it? We prioritize politics over people. We are far more likely, it's okay, you don't have to put your hands up, we are far more likely to lead somebody to a new restaurant than we are to lead somebody to Jesus Christ. There you go. That that should terrify us. What are we doing with social media? Are we, I mean, right now, at the very same time that we have all these problems, we could also choose to be a voice of good. We could also be using that platform to bring the message of the gospel to others. Now, I certainly don't have all the answers or any answers on how to do that. But I bet if we got together collectively and talked about how to do that, we could probably make some progress toward that. We're living in a time that's unprecedented right now. And as fast and as hard as the devil is working to destroy it, we do not have to go down that path. 
Christians, I'm telling you, the behavior on social media is terrible. Terrible. And so those are the kinds of things when we're thinking about what does it mean? Is it testing or temptation? I don't believe it's by accident. I believe that God is actually testing us through social media to see how we're doing. You want to know who's laughing all day long? is the devil who watches us publicly melt down and even worse, do it in the name of God, quote unquote. What? So now we've got each or every political side or every agenda claiming that God stands with them. Really? Okay. Have we maybe missed the point? Maybe we need to care for one another. Maybe we need to take the time to reach out and develop relationships, especially with those people who don't think like us or don't act like us or don't look like us or have different ideas than us. Instead of just speaking into an echo chamber and continuing to talk about the things that we already agree upon, the already we believe upon, what would it be like to actually take Jesus at his word and go and hang out with the people who are not like us? We don't even have to leave our house to do that. We've been given the biggest platform in the world to do that. What are we doing with that opportunity? So when we fall, not if, but when we fall, when we end up yielding to temptation, when we end up going down the road we shouldn't, the second dimension that we're asking God for is to deliver us. We need God's deliverance. We cannot save ourselves. We just talked about how oftentimes we don't even know that we're in trouble. We have no idea. But when we finally know that we are in trouble, we've got to ask God to come and rescue us. We cannot save ourselves. And so I want us to think, I'm going to give you a little checkup today that you can, uh, you can think about yourselves. And I would ask God to, to think about this with you. Don't, don't just try to do this on your own. But I, I would say we need to ask ourselves two questions. Two questions. The first question is, what don't I think I can live without? Right now in my life, what don't I think I can live without? And the follow-up question is, am I trusting whatever it is? Am I trusting whatever that is? More that I'm trusting Jesus. Do I believe that whatever that thing is has more power to save me than Jesus does? Those two questions. We're gonna, you can start thinking about it now because we're going to come back to that at the end. But those are, those are two questions. Now, if you really want, well, there's no extra credit, but if you want the idea of extra credit, you could take that one step further and you could ask the people closest to you in your life, what do you see in my life? How do you see uh, my trust? Do you see me trusting and depending on the Lord and seeking the Lord? Or do you see me chasing down other things? I mean, folks, we're doing this out in the open. We, we like to think like, oh, well, those, those pesky Israelites, they couldn't get it together. No, it's us now. And we're doing it out in the open. We have a show called American Idol for crying out loud, right? We're doing it out in the open, we're chasing all kinds of idols. We talked about all of them at the beginning. Money, power, sex, drugs, everything. We're after all of these things to try to do what only God can do for us. So when we fall into those temptations, we've got to be delivered. And we talk about 
deliverance, uh, there are strategies in Scripture that help us understand that. And we've been talking this entire series about prayer. Well, guess what prayer is? Prayer is the undoing of the devil and all his schemes. Undoing of the devil and all his schemes. It's a direct line to God, God of the universe, God who wants to be involved. God himself is getting involved when we call upon him. So are we calling upon him? Are we praying and asking God for these things? I hope that's what we've been exploring and learning together on this journey. We're asking then for God's intervention. If you look at James uh, chapter 1, verse 2, he talks about when, when we find ourselves in times of testing and times of trial. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. We're asking for God's intervention, and God promises to intervene. Maybe not to answer our prayers in just the way we want or have everything work out just like we had hoped, that's not the point. The point is that God is much larger and bigger than our understanding or comprehension of what is actually going on. So when we pray for God's intervention, he will come to our rescue. He will come to our rescue. And he wants us to call upon him, not just in times of struggle and trial and bad things. He wants us to come in terms of our good things. When, let's say we happen to find ourselves with a promotion or, or uh, uh, somebody in our family uh, passed away and left us a whole bunch of money or something like that. We find ourselves in circumstances all the time where we are abundantly blessed. Are we asking God, what, we know this is yours, God, what would you have us do with this? Or are we just saying, oh, this is great. I'm going to do this. It's always a temptation. God is always there providing a test to help purify us. And then the devil is trying to whisper to us saying, no, 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 don't worry about that. Just come this way. Follow me instead. Jesus knows a thing or two about temptation. Read Matthew chapter four. It's the other thing about we can say whatever we want. We can memorize a bunch of scripture if we want to. You want to know what that proves? That we can memorize scripture. Does that mean anything else? Well, I don't know. The devil quotes scripture to Jesus while he's tempting him. So it's not just about knowing the words. It's about asking for the intervention of the Holy Spirit. This Holy Spirit is who brings the word of God to life. So we can't just know and memorize. We have to pray and ask for God to intervene. So prayer is the undoing of, of God's, uh, or undoing of the devil and all his schemes. But then the reality is God arms us and equips us to deal with this. And how does he do that? With his word. He gives us the best weapon that there is, his word. And so while I just got done saying memorizing scripture doesn't mean anything, that may be very well true. But when we know how to use scripture to fight the battles, then it's not us fighting that battle. It's the word of God fighting it for us the word of God fighting it for us. He gives us the best weapon and the only weapon we need because God's word is our weapon. And we, I don't know if you know, all the way back at the beginning of the Psalms, uh, Psalm chapter one, there's this verse that talks about 
Blessed is the one who delights in the word of God and meditates on it day and night. We get caught up in this idea of meditation, right? Because when we think of meditation as the world would describe it, or even as other religions would describe it, we think of this idea of trying to empty our minds. We've got to completely empty our minds. So we can get to like a steady state of total emptiness and nothingness. And yet here we have what God is telling us in Scripture, which is an empty mind is no good. You need to fill your mind with the word of God. Because if you ever hope to thwart the attacks and the schemes of the devil, you do it with the power of God's word. In order to do it and use it, we got to know it. But the third thing, like I've been talking about, is that we don't just do it by knowing and memorizing the words themselves. We have to ask for God's filling of his Holy Spirit, that God's Holy Spirit be our guide and he be the one that takes us to where we need to go. We're asking for God to have the final say in whatever our trial, whatever our circumstances, whatever we face, we're asking for God to have the final word. Not the devil, not the evil one, not the one who's scheming and planning against us, but we're asking for God to have the final say. And you want to know what? God does have the final say. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 35, Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. And so what really, really finally and completely and ultimately matters is not what the devil says about us, not what other people say about us. It matters what God says about us. And God comes to us and says, look, I forgive you. I favor you. You are mine. And we pray that God's Holy Spirit makes that true and transforms our lives and in our hearts, not just for our own sake, but so that we can go out and proclaim this good news to other people. Deliverance comes through the Holy Spirit. James chapter 4, verse 7. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Again, the weapons we've been given are God's words themselves. By the power of God's Spirit, the devil will flee from us. We ask the Holy Spirit, come, come near to me, God. And he will come near to us. So as we close this series today, as we think about the journey that we've been on together and the time that we've spent reflecting on what does it mean to approach God in prayer? What are we asking God? How has the Lord's prayer been something that has been modeled to us and given to us by Jesus to remember that, that God is our Father, loving Father, who gives us what we need, that his name is holy, holy and, and above all other names, and that he provides for us on a daily basis and that he's bringing about his, his kingdom and his will. They're be, being done right now here on earth as it is in heaven. And we're invited to participate in that. And then now we've talked about how, what does it mean to forgive? What does it mean that God is forgiven? And what does it mean for us to forgive others? And then today, we're asking God not to lead us into temptation, 
not to lead us in times of trial. It's not God who's tempting us. I, I, I want to say this very clearly, and I know I've got a little bit of a time problem here. I'm going too long, but I, this is important. If you struggle with alcohol, it's not the Holy Spirit that's telling you to go to the bar. If you have a pornography problem, it's not the Holy Spirit who's telling you to spend more time alone on the internet when no one's watching. If you have a problem because you're working too much, it's not the Holy Spirit who's telling you, you know, you should probably put in a couple more hours. You know, who cares about your family? We have to learn to trust the right voice. Listen to the right voice. So we pray for God's intervention to protect us so that we recognize who is speaking to us. And then also that when we fall, God delivers us. So as we close out our time together, I just want to ask you those two questions. Think about these two questions. Just take, take a moment as the worship team comes up here. Uh, take a couple moments here to think about what do you think that you can't live without? What do you think you can't live without? And are you trusting it to save you more than Jesus? Are you trusting it to save you more than Jesus? Let's just pray together right now silently and ask God to search your heart. Ask God to come into your life right now in this moment and reveal truth to you that you may not even want to hear. We got to do it together. Let's do it. Father, in these moments, we ask for your intervention. We pray for your protection. We pray for your deliverance. We ask, Lord, that whatever it is that has been keeping us in bondage and causing us to wander off and away from you, that you destroy that right now, that you break those bonds that you break those chains that have slaved us to sin. We know that you are the chain breaker. You know, we know that you are the one who gives us freedom. Freedom like we can't ever expect from this world. So Lord, as we come before you today, right now in this place, we ask that your name be made holy and kept holy in our lives. 
We ask, Lord, that, that you bring your kingdom, not just a theoretical kingdom somewhere else, Lord, but bring your kingdom in our lives and have your will be done in our lives on earth as it is in heaven. Turn us into your witnesses that we might go out and proclaim the good news to all those who you love who are lost and hurting in this broken and fallen world. Lord, we pray that you would meet our daily needs, that we might know who you are and who is providing those needs for us, that we might not be tempted to trust in the gifts instead of the giver. Lord, we ask you to forgive us. Forgive us for the ways that we've fallen short. And help us to forgive others. Not through our own power, through the power you give us with the weapon you give us, your word that does what we cannot do. We ask, Lord, by the power of that same word that you come and protect us and deliver us from the evil one. We ask that you break all the plans and the schemes and the snares of the devil return us back to you. In Jesus' name, we ask these things. Amen.